The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. you're free how you doing happy tuesday i'm leslie marshall it is super tuesday primary and caucus tuesday time to get out and vote tuesday we're seeing very low voting in some areas as low as 26 percent but among the youth we're also seeing an increase of about that 26 percent and uh we're seeing online people taking photos of line after line after line in various states throughout the country uh, that make up the more than the dozen uh, states today that will vote on Super Tuesday. A uh, lot of elements, and we're going to talk about it with my buddy Brad Bannon and yours right here on The Only True Democracy and talk with me, Leslie Marshall. But first, let's kick it off by a little thing with a little thing we like to call ripped from the headlines. In a rare move, the Federal Reserve cut interest rates by half a percentage point, a large amount, and hope they keep going because I want to refinance my house. Anyway, they're doing it in an emergency response to the spread of the novel coronavirus and its impact on the economy. The big picture here is that COVID-19 has infected, that's corona, uh, that's code speak for corona, uh, has infected more than 92,000 people. But it's a hoax, right? Democratic hoax. 92,000 people in over 70 countries and territories. It is mostly in mainland China. They have seen a slowdown, thankfully, in new infections. The global death toll from the novel coronavirus has soared past 3,100 by this morning. And in the last 48 hours, let's take a look at some of the impact. In the market, well, the Fed made that rare move, like I told you, in announcing a rate cut outside of its scheduled meetings. That effort is to soften damage caused by lower spending and consumer confidence. But G7 leaders did not announce specific measures as the market had expected. And meanwhile, this past month, February, the global manufacturing industry fell into contraction and flows into emerging markets dropped. More IPOs are being postponed. The huge South by Southwest conference is under pressure to cancel. OPEC is mulling production cuts amid a drop in commodity prices. And even Bill Gates has issued warnings again. Democratic political hoax, right? China. China's National Health Commission reported 125 new cases on the mainland. That is today. But that is the lowest of more than a month. The recovery rate? Well, Around 53% of people infected have recovered, according to Johns Hopkins University, not media hype, um, just uh, eyeing the preliminary data. By the way, that's, that's just around half, right? In the United States, the death toll rose to six on Monday. All the deaths in the United States have occurred in the state of Washington in the Pacific Northwest, where a state of emergency has been declared. The Life Care Center nursing home has been linked to several of the 18 cases and four deaths. Again, compromised immune systems, young kids, old people. But part of the problem that we've seen with coronavirus is the problem of not only containment, but that it's not just um, taking 
people with compromised immune systems have seen from the breakdown in China. Uh, the Georgia governor, Brian Kemp, a Republican, told a news conference the state had confirmed two coronavirus. Massachusetts State Public Health Laboratory said it identified its first positive case of COVID-19 yesterday. New York confirmed its second case today. Rhode Island, Florida, and New Hampshire announced their first confirmed cases on Sunday. And here in California, where I live and broadcast from most days, there are at least 40 cases. That's per the L.A. Times. Among them, a woman who did not recently travel overseas who was diagnosed with the virus on Friday. That has a lot of health professionals perplexed and a big question mark. How did she get it? Did not come into contact with anyone that she knows. The CDC is counting confirmed and presumptive cases that individual state health departments are tracking. Now, the CDC said before the latest cases in Washington and Georgia were announced, the U.S. had 91 confirmed cases including 45 from that Diamond Princess cruise. Three evacuated from Wuhan, 17 were travel-related, 26 person-to-person infections. The first international cases, Andorra, Saudi Arabia, Senegal, Morocco, and Portugal. They each reported their first cases yesterday. And the World Health Organization said, quote, containment of COVID-19 is feasible and must remain the top priority for all countries. That's what the director general said yesterday. The diagnostics are that the FDA put a new policy for laboratory testing for the coronavirus into effect on Saturday this weekend, which specifies how labs should validate, document, and report COVID-19 tests here in the United States. The FDA commissioner, Stephen Hahn, said yesterday, health officials should be able to perform nearly a million tests for the virus by the end of the week. Axios scooped on Sunday there had been possible contamination at an Atlanta lab originally responsible so for some of those diagnostic what? test kits. Yes. And uh, conference impact, well, the huge uh, Sarah Week Energy Conference in Houston that was slated to begin March 9th canceled due to concerns over coronavirus. On Twitter, they announced it would suspend all non-critical business travel events, including CEO Jack Dorsey's planned keynote at the South by Southwest Conference uh, down in Austin, Texas. Disproportionate effect. Some Americans more than others may have their income affected by possible quarantines, school shutdowns, or loss of transportation options. And that Diamond Princess Cruise, 706 passengers are confirmed with the infection. 706. About 100 Americans do remain there under a two-week travel ban. This is no hoax. And no, we're not being hysterical. I think we're being appropriately worried and trying to prevent this from you getting it and from it spreading further and containing it. There are two There are two alleged vaccines, one coming from Israel, one coming from the United States, specifically out of Boston, that in a few months they should know uh, if in fact that works. And so that'll take, so this may be around for a few months. I don't know what you're doing. I was supposed to go to Italy in August. Don't know if that's happening. Uh, we will see. Not canceling the Bahamas in April. No, no signs of it there. And then some people say, uh, when you look at the death toll, this is not as bad as Ebola or SARS. The problem is um, it spreads faster. So it's not as bad fatality-wise, but as far as being able to contain it, it's been more difficult. By the way, coronavirus has been around for years. Some of you may have even had it. It was around in the 50s. It is this particular strain that is causing all the issues. Let's rip another. Defense Secretary Mark T. Esper has urged American military commanders overseas not to make any decisions related to the coronavirus that might surprise the White House or run afoul of the president's messaging, which is that the Democrats made this up for a hoax. And his son, adding insult to injury to Democrats uh, and offended me, said that 
we were hoping people would be infected by this because it would help us politically and it would hurt the markets. Are you serious? Liberals care about human beings. That's one of the reasons I'm a Democrat. Okay? That makes me sick, right? Um, Anyway, Trump's messaging, by the way, keeps changing on this growing health challenge. Now, Esper's directive was delivered last week during a video teleconference call with combatant commanders around the world. Uh, It's the latest iteration of Mr. Trump's efforts to manage public fears over the disease, even as it continues to spread around the world. uh, Trump said that Democrats in the news media are stoking fear about the disease. He called their concerns a hoax during a rally last week. And now the president's tempering his words. Careful, Mr. President. Karma is a bitch. Mr. Esper told commanders deployed overseas that they should check in before making decisions related to protecting their troops. What? In one exchange during last Wednesday's video teleconference, General Robert B. Abrams, the commander of American forces in South Korea, uh, says there are more than 4,000 coronavirus cases that have been detected. He discussed his options to protect the American military personnel against the virus. Uh, and in response, Esper said he wanted advance notice before General Abrams or any other commander made decisions relating to protecting their troops. Is Esper commander-in-chief of the military last time I checked? Anyway, General Abrams said that while he would give uh, Esper advance warning, he might have to make urgent health decisions before receiving final approval from Washington. Imagine that, lives before checking in with the boss. The Defense Department's response is more important uh, because the, is important, excuse me, because the American military has more than 75,000 troops stationed in countries that are experiencing outbreaks. We have troops in South Korea. We have troops in Japan, Italy, Bahrain, and several American bases sit next to cities where the virus is spreading. And those bases employ civilian workers. So many American troops live off base as well. Last week, an American soldier in South Korea tested positive for the virus. That was the military's first active duty case. We say first. We hope there's not more. But come on, look at the stats. Let's rip another. The Supreme Court's next big Affordable Care Act case could be a huge political problem for President Trump. Why? Well, the Trump administration will spend the next several months urging the court to strip away some 20 million people's health insurance and to throw out protections for pre-existing conditions. And it may all come down to a head just before Election Day. Driving that news... The court said yesterday it's going to hear the challenge filed by Republican attorneys general and supported by the Trump administration. That aims, of course, to strike down the entire Affordable Care Act. How stupid can you be when health care is numero uno on voters on the left and the right, among the young, among Latinos and African-Americans, among women? Are you kidding me? Are you idiots? Anyway, the court said that it will hear the challenge. Uh, like I said, the move was a surprise. Um, the lower court seemed likely to push a Supreme Court appeal well past the election. So what's next? Oral arguments in the case haven't been scheduled yet, but following the court's standard timeline, there's a decent chance those arguments could fall in October, one month before the election, weeks actually, even days perhaps before Election Day, depending where in October it falls. Election Eve arguments over the fate of 20 million people's health care coverage would be a particularly great gift for Democrats. But even if they fall after November 3rd, the case, it would still be a gift. Where does it stand? Well, polls consistently show, as I mentioned, that health care is among voters' most important issues for the 2020 election. If this case becomes a big part of that debate, well, it's likely to benefit disproportionately Democrats. Opposition to the health care law doesn't rile up the Republican base the way it used to. But as we saw during the repeal and replace saga back in 2017 and then in the 2018 midterms, threats to those protections definitely motivates Democratic voters to come out. The Affordable Care Act as a whole is not popular, and some of its main provisions, like guaranteed coverage for people with pre-existing conditions, well, those have always been popular. Here's the reality check. 
This will be the third time the Supreme Court has held the ACA's life in its hand. Bottom line, regardless of the date of the oral argument, the Democratic candidate will and should use this case to bludgeon the president at every turn. That's what's ripped from the headlines. I'm Leslie Marshall. Brad Bannon is in the house. We're going to talk about Super Tuesday coming up. Don't go away. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Back, I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Brad Bannon. He runs Bannon Communications Research. They're a polling message development and media firm, and they help labor unions, progressive issues groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. You can hear him guest host for me every Monday from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern with his own program, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. He writes a column every Sunday on the 2020 presidential race for the Hill. He's on the National Journal's panel of political insiders and is a national political analyst for WGN-TV and radio in Chicago and KNX Radio in L.A. You can read Brad's columns at www.muckrack.com forward slash Brad hyphen Bannon. His Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. No relation to Steve. Uh, Brad, thank you for uh, joining us. Good afternoon. Happy Super Tuesday. Um, you uh, wrote uh, about seven things that we should uh, watch for. I love your columns in the Hill. Um, so uh, let's break it down. Uh, first of all, though, um, I I want to uh, Marky Mark. Do we have the audio ready? Can we use that? Um, because there have been uh, some changes, and um, you know, and uh, it's it, sorry, uh, NBC's piece, not yours, Brad. But I do like your pieces in the Hill. Uh, there have been some changes. Amy Klobuchar has dropped out. She has thrown her support to Biden. Beto has thrown his support to Biden uh, at a rally in Texas as well. And Pete Buttigieg has thrown his support to Biden after uh, bowing out of the race. Um, uh, we will talk. We will talk about that uh, a little bit. A little bit later in uh, in the hour. Uh, let's talk about some of these things we need to watch for. NBC breaks it down to seven. Various people have written articles with different numbers. The contest today is for the Democrats to really push other Democrats out, right? You know, there's a race to the top, the race to the magic number. Um, is this going to, after today, Brad, become a two-person race between uh, establishment moderate Democrats, Joe Biden, and progressive populist Democrats, Bernie Sanders? Um, will Super Tuesday lead it down to those two individuals, um, or do Warren and Bloomberg uh, throw a wrench into that plan? Well, I think it's a close call. I think it's a close call for Warren uh, to survive. I think she needs to do two things today. Uh, she needs to win uh, Massachusetts, her home state, and I think she's in a tight race with Bernie uh, here in the Bay State. Uh, I also think she has to get at least 15% of the vote in California so she reaches the uh, threshold to win delegates. Uh, I think 
think uh, if she uh, if she doesn't do either of the two things, I think her campaign is over. Um, and uh, Bloomberg, you know, today is a big mystery for Bloomberg because it's the first day he's actually going to be on the ballot anywhere. Uh, I'm kind of thinking uh, that his, despite the fact that he spent more than half a billion dollars, which boggles my mind, um, He's in trouble. One thing I saw, he was not on the ballot in South Carolina on on Saturday, uh, but he did. Uh, they did ask about him in the exit poll, uh, and his negative among South Carolina Democrats was about three times as high as his positive, which leads me to believe uh, his candidacy. Uh, he may not do very well today, um, especially in places where there are a large number of black voters. So I, I think Bloomberg and, and Warren are on the fence. Um, honestly, if I had to, I, I think. Uh, you know, again, it all depends on Warren whether she can win some Massachusetts and win some delegates in, in, uh, in California. She doesn't do the, those two things. I, I think her candidacy is going to end sometime this week. Brad, who does Bloomberg and Warren hanging on through today benefit and who does it hurt? Uh, well, I think Warren hanging on uh, definitely hurts uh, Bernie. Uh, they share a very, very liberal, liberal constituency in the party, and I think as long as she uh, hangs in the race, uh, she is a uh, you know she uh, uh, dampers the uh, support out there for Bernie Sanders. Um, I think Bloomberg uh, serves the same role for Biden. Uh, Biden, uh, B- uh, Bloomberg attracts moderate voters like Biden does, uh, so uh, he is a he is a threat to uh, Biden as long as he hangs on. And again, it will be interesting to see what happens with Bloomberg if he craps out tonight after spending more than half a billion dollars. Uh, his candidacy may sink pretty fast. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more um, about the Super Tuesday contenders. That's Biden, Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Mike Bloomberg. Uh, as I told you, uh, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, and even Beto O'Rourke have thrown their support uh, behind uh, Joe Biden. We'll talk about Tom Steyer b- briefly. He's uh, out of the race as well. Um, um, who's going to capitalize? How do they capitalize? Predictions for today and more coming up with Brad Bannon and me, Leslie Marshall, right after this. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Brad Bannon. Let's get to it. It's Super Tuesday. Let's break it down. Brad, thanks for holding. Welcome back. Um, Let's talk about Joe Biden. Okay. He did absolutely mind-blowingly well in South Carolina, better than any of the projections or the polls. Um, And he brought out actually more African-Americans to vote in that state than when Barack Obama ran uh, with him as VP. Um, Amy Klobuchar has backed him. Um, Beto O'Rourke has backed him. Uh, Buddha judge has backed him. Um, before we talk about Biden, where, where is Steyer going to back somebody? And if so, who do you think it is? And will Warren, if she steps out at some point, back Bernie? Yeah, well, 
I, I think uh, the Warren question is a good question. Uh, I suspect if she drops out, and, I, you know, I think if she doesn't uh, do well in Massachusetts and California today, she will. Uh, I suspect she will. She would uh, endorse Bernie, uh, basically because her they, they share a constituency, and I, I think it would cause her political problems uh, if she went and uh, backed Biden. Uh, so I, I suspect, I, I don't think she'd rush to endorse Bernie. I think she might take her time, but I think she eventually would endorse him. And so people understand when they, you know, back down, you know, we, Mark and I were talking, uh, Mark and Mark Romaldi, on executive producer, uh, for those that wonder who I'm referencing, what I'm saying, Mark, um, Amy Klobuchar could, you know, certainly be perhaps a strong secretary of state, Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, head of the Treasury Department. I mean, the list goes on. That's what a lot of these people are gunning for um, with their support, right? I mean, Pete Buttigieg would go from a former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, to maybe a cabinet position because I, I don't. Well, we'll get to VP in a second, but um, well, I, I'll just say it. I don't think Joe Biden's going to pick Pete Buttigieg, not because he's gay, because he's white, uh, to be VP on the ticket. But a lot of these people are looking at, um, you know, cabinet positions uh, with the the individual they're backing because they knew they couldn't win at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, I think. Uh, if Biden is the nominee, or Bernie for that matter, they almost have to have uh, a woman on the ticket. Uh, by the time where all the primary votes are counted uh, in May, about 60 percent of the Democratic primary voters will be women. Uh, and if there was a male... Brad, nominee, Brad, Brad, one second. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Woman, it needs to be a woman... But also needs to be a woman of color, right? I mean, you can't have two white people on that platform. No, I think, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it would be very advantageous uh, to the nominee, if it's Biden or, or Bernie, uh, to have uh, a woman, a woman of color. And also, I would argue, preferably someone on the young side, uh, because let's face it, both Bernie and Biden are well into their 70s. Uh, so, uh, yeah, definitely female, definitely a, a woman of color, and probably someone Fairly young. That's a tall. Who do you who do you who do you think of? I mean, who do you think Biden, if he is the nominee, would select as his running mate? Well, there are two names that come up a lot. Uh, one is uh, uh, Abrams, uh, Stacey Abrams, the uh, former gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, who came very close to winning. Uh, you know, Biden. There was before Biden got in the race last spring. There was a lot of conversations between Biden and Abrams, and there was even some consideration, uh, again, this is six or seven months ago, of Biden uh, and Abrams running as a, a ticket in the primary. Now, that didn't work out, uh, but I think she would be uh, strongly considered. Uh, I think the other name you hear uh, is uh, Kamala Harris. Um, now, uh, uh, I think uh, Harris uh, is very articulate. Uh, I think she would be a good running mate. Um, she doesn't really 
balance the ticket geographically because Biden would or uh, would win California anyway. Uh, but she's a she's a good campaigner, and in fact, that's one of the big surprises to me of all this whole process. Um, I thought Harris would turn out to be a much stronger t- contender in the presidential race than she was, uh, but she still, I think, is uh, would be a very good addition to the ticket. So Harris and Abrams are the the names that come. Yeah, they're, the, they're, yeah, they're, they're definitely the names that I think of as well. So let's talk about Biden and how he can um, capitalize about this. Uh, there's rumors that the Democratic establishment is in a stop Sanders mode, that Biden is their guy. Endorsements have been pouring in. Uh, after he had that blowout victory in South Carolina three days ago, uh, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, Senator Tammy Duckworth, uh, they were among those who added their names to the list yesterday. Uh, the vote over the weekend rejuvenated his campaign. Uh, the two moderate rivals of his, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, stepped down, dropped out, endorsed him, and endorsed him big at a rally in Texas. Um, Biden has to take advantage of, of that. Um, my, my, my fear here is... The Bernie Sanders crowd, the Bernie or bust, had a belief, wrongly so, that the election was stolen from him in 2016. And that's actually not true. Hillary Clinton did have the majority of delegates, um, and Hillary Clinton was the Democratic nominee. Um, And the establishment really can't control the American people and how they vote. Um, Last time around, Bernie wanted the process to play out. This time around, he wants the person who has the most delegates going in to be chosen by the superdelegates to be the Democratic uh, nominee. Obviously, the about face because it would benefit him uh, now. Um, is this is there a stop Sanders mode going on? Because I got to tell you, I talk to a lot of and, and it bothers me. I'm not going to say names, but there's somebody on Twitter who I like and respect and I've lost a lot of respect for in recent days. He used to work for Hillary Clinton because he you know, it, it's almost like. Um, this really strong belief they're in a stop Sanders mode. I'm sorry, but the same could be said for Sanders people that they're in a stop Biden mode. Isn't that like the, you know, the um, goal of this game, if you will, uh, that, you know, you're both are trying to become uh, king of the mountain. So let's talk about Biden capitalizing and let's talk about if Biden pulls out the victory he's leading nationwide, uh, 12% going into this, not California, but other states, um, over Bernie. D- does this belief continue among the Bernie or bus people that it's stop Sanders mode by the establishment? Well, I agree with what you said. I, you know, not only did Hillary Clinton uh, have more delegates going into the convention in 2016 uh, than Sanders did, uh, but more Democrats uh, voted for her in the primaries than voted for Bernie Sanders. Um, I, I agree with you. I think uh, the so-called establishment, uh, it, you know, it, it just can't do what the Sanders have the power to do what the Sanders people claim they did. Uh, And so, uh, you know, but, you know, I mean, I, you know, there are moderates, you know, getting, getting together uh, to try to boost Joe Biden. And, you know, I mean, Sanders is doing the same thing. Uh, That's the whole object of campaigns is to put together more supporters and bigger coalitions than the other candidate. Uh, so I don't see 
that there's any systematic effort to stop Bernie Sanders from winning the nomination. It's just that Joe Biden is out there uh, assembling coalitions in the same way that Bernie Sanders is. And, you know, it's really amazing. Uh, Ten days ago, going back to the Nevada caucuses where Bernie won a big victory, uh, Joe Biden was hanging on by his fingertips. But the last 72 hours has gone as well for Biden as it could for any candidate. Uh, and I think he's in the, in a position uh, to surprise a lot of people tonight uh, with the big South Carolina win, all the endorsements. Uh, that may be the big surprise tonight to see how well Joe Biden does. And he was hanging on by his fingernails 10, 10 days ago. In fact, I remember I read an article, I think you wrote for Fox, uh, that said, don't give up on Joe Biden. And you were right, uh, because he's coming back with a vengeance. We're gonna, I want to ask you, where do you think Buttigieg supporters will go before he quit? The polls found him winning the support of about 10 percent of Democrats nationwide. That is still a hefty chunk of votes in a primary campaign that seems to be going down to the wire. Who do you think Buttigieg voters will support now? He obviously wants his voters to go from the B, Buttigieg, to B, Biden. Uh, he praised him yesterday as the candidate who would, quote, bring dignity back to the White House. But his voters may have other ideas ahead of his endorsement. The most recent numbers from, from Morning Consult, which tracks second choice preference candidates, found that among Buttigieg voters, 21 percent would actually go to Sanders, 19 percent to Biden and Warren, seven, uh, uh, each get 19 and 17 percent to Bloomberg. Um, do you think now that he's endorsed Biden, more of Buttigieg supporters will go to Biden as opposed to that cross section of Biden Sanders, Warren, and Bloomberg. Oh, yeah, I do. I think with the the fact that he's so clearly and loudly endorsed Biden, I think he'll get the lion's share of uh, of uh, uh, the Biden will get the lion's share of the Mayor Pete supporters that are out there. And I think there is some overlap with Sanders, because I think the attraction to Mayor Pete was more than ideological. I think he came across as, you know, somebody who was outside the establishment, uh, who was a change ag- agent. So I think he did have some overlap with uh, Bernie's vote. But I think after so strongly endorsing Biden, uh, I-, I think his people uh, with will go for the form of vice president. The lion's share them will. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. And when we come back, we're going to hear some audio, something very touching that Joe Biden said about Pete Buttigieg. If you've uh, missed it and haven't heard it before, you're going to hear it with us right here in just a moment. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Brad Bannon. We're also going to talk more about Super Tuesday. Don't go away. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. to help me is uh, means a great deal to me. I don't think I've ever done this before, but uh, he reminds me of my son, Bo. Uh, and I know to, that may not mean much to most people, but to me, it's the highest compliment I could give any man or woman. And I look over at Pete during the debates, and I think, I think, you know, that's a Bo. Because he has such enormous character, such intellectual capacity, and such a commitment to other people. And folks, I... 
can't tell you how much it means to me that he would step up and endorse me. He didn't even tell me when we spoke he was going to endorse me. That's beautiful, huh? Military, intelligent, and uh, effective uh, speaker. Uh, and his son, Bo, not a gay man. You know, not looking at like, oh, my son, my gay son. And, you know, I, I thought that was beautiful. Uh, we're back with Brad Bannon. I'm Leslie Marshall. And that was Joe Biden complimenting uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, right before Pete endorsed him. Said he didn't even know he was going to do it uh, until like the 11th hour and said that uh, Pete Buttigieg reminds him of his son. I also want to give props to Joe Biden. Nobody else defended Pete Buttigieg against the attacks, homophobic attacks of Rush Limbaugh and the likes of those individuals. And Joe Biden did uh, defend uh, Pete Buttigieg at one of those debates um, after Rush Limbaugh. Uh, received that uh, Medal of uh, Freedom honor. Uh, Let's continue. Uh, Brad Bannon's our guest, uh, and he is uh, my co-host, I guess you could say, today. He hosts uh, his own program um, on Mondays here, 3 p.m. Eastern. Brad, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Um, A lot of people are saying that demographics matter more than momentum. Uh, So far, the contest has not been defined for the Democrats by momentum. Uh, The Iowa victory uh, didn't turn Buttigieg into a force, uh, the New Hampshire, uh, you know, uh, you know, Klobuchar, Klobuchar moment uh, didn't last. Um, it also didn't sink Biden uh, coming in so poorly in Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, and those uh, two decisive victories also didn't make Sanders uh, unstoppable. Uh, but when we look at primary season so far, it would seem it does come down to demographics. Latinos and young people have embraced Sanders. Black voters overwhelmingly are supporting Biden. Biden, excuse me. White voters are all over the map. In California, the Latinos and in Texas are going to bode well for Sanders. Uh, those are the two most delegate-rich states today. Um, and he won Latinos by more than 30 points in Nevada, uh, according to the NBC uh, News entrance polls. Uh, But it's also good news for Biden in Alabama, Arkansas, North Carolina. He won 61 percent of African-American voters in South Carolina. History's on Biden's side because the candidate who's carried black voters nationally has won the Democratic nomination in every contested primary since 1992. So does it come down to demographics? And because it does, is Bernie going to be the nominee because he'll get such a big chunk of Texas and California with the Latino support? Or does Biden make up for it in Alabama, Arkansas, North Carolina, and other places with African Americans? It doesn't come down to a demographic race between blacks and Latinos, between black and brown. Well, uh, it certainly is true in uh, California. I think everybody thinks uh, that Bernie's going to win California tonight, and he probably will. I just think it's a question of which the other candidates, Biden or Warren, uh, get to the 15 percent threshold to win from delegates. You know, I think Texas could be very interesting tonight. Uh, You're right. uh, Bernie has solid Latino support, uh, but there are some black voters in Texas, and there's also another group of voters in Texas uh, that were in very short supply for Biden in Iowa and New Hampshire. And those are white Democrats who considered themselves moderates. Uh, Texas, uh, white Texas voters are not nearly as liberal as white 
uh, primary voters in Iowa and New Hampshire. And I think Texas could be interesting tonight because between the black vote in Texas and the large number of uh, white Democratic uh, moderate primary voters, uh, I think uh, Texas will probably be closer uh, and more of a battle than California tonight. And you're right, he'll do, Biden will do well in places like Alabama, uh, North Carolina, Arkansas, uh, where there are a large number of African American voters. Um, let's talk about Mike Bloomberg and let's talk about a contested or brokered convention. Uh, Bloomberg said it's the only way he can win. For people that don't fully understand, what is a brokered convention? Is it a really bad thing? Um, and it, it, you know, obviously that's what uh, Bloomberg is hoping for and hanging on for. Yeah, uh, well, I personally think uh, it is a bad thing. Uh, We haven't had a brokered convention in 70 years now. And the reason for that is uh, that with with the advent of television uh, and the advent of primaries, uh, everything was done in the open. And uh, it it was really hard to justify the fact the fact that you could go through a long primary season where millions of voters vote and then have their verdict overturned at the national convention. Uh, And it hasn't happened. Um, And, you know, I'm I'm still not sure there will be a broken convention this time. Uh, I think that it's still possible, especially if this drops down to a two-way race between Biden and Sanders. One of them will come out with, with a majority uh, before the convention. You know, it may be there are pockets of delegates out there that up the grabs. For instance, uh, Mayor Pete won 26 delegates um, in New Hampshire. And he wants some in Iowa, too. And those delegates could end up moving towards Biden now that Mayor Pete's out of the race. Uh, but I personally think it would be a bad thing uh, because you don't want to go into a situation where millions of voters uh, cast their ballots. And then you walk into a convention and a bunch of super delegates decide the outcome instead of the voters. So I hope we can avoid that. And one of the candidates does go in there with a majority or close to a majority. And I still think that might happen. Um, winning a state is, you know, great, but obviously delegates are the real prize. A candidate needs to hit 1,991 to capture the nomination. Minimum threshold of 15% is required statewide to win any delegates. Um, and the number awarded is calculated based on results in congressional uh, districts. Um, so right now, Sanders has 60 delegates. Biden has 53. Uh, Warren just has eight. Um, you know, how, how if you had to predict, who do you think is going to hit that magic number first? And quickly, we only have one minute. I think it's too early to tell, but I think there, there. I, I think in when the uh, all said and done, either Sanders or Biden will walk into the convention with the majority. Okay, but a majority is not good enough. You don't get that 1991 super delegates got to come in, and then you know Bernie or Bus people might pout and stay home or vote for Trump, like 12 percent of them did in 2016. I certainly hope we've learned our lesson, and I certainly hope we don't. Uh, play the song deja vu over and over and give trump a second turn uh term excuse me brad bannon uh has been uh with us like i said you can listen to him on deadline dc with brad every monday 3 to 4 p.m read his columns for the hill 
at muckrack.com forward slash Brad hyphen Bannon and on Twitter at Brad Bannon, B-R-A-D-B-A-N-N-O-N. I'm Leslie Marshall. Have a great day.